What's up, City Church? Welcome to the final week of our A Christmas Story series, a series about broken expectations. And hey, speaking of unmet expectations, broken expectations, I know you guys were expecting to see a very handsome, talented Clayton Tyner, but you've got me. And so let me address that really quickly. As you know, Pastor Clayton has been pretty public about this. He's shared that he's on some medication right now, and that medication has some really funky side effects. And so he asked me a couple of days ago to step in for him. And while some of you might be disappointed, I want you to know it's my privilege to be serving you this weekend. Now, we're going to pray for Pastor Clayton as a family shortly. But before that, let's review what he's been teaching us these last couple of weeks. Now, for the last few weeks, we've learned that in any story, there are three components that will influence us. It's personal expectations, which are the expectations that we place on ourselves and that we have for ourselves. There are social expectations, our expectations for the people that we interact with. And lastly, there are structural expectations, our expectations for the way the world around us works, for the systems and institutions that govern our lives. And when any of these expectations aren't met, it can be disheartening and dissatisfying and depressing. And so we've looked at what the original Christmas story teaches us about dealing with broken expectations. And today we're going to focus on the last one, broken structural expectations, what to do when the systems and institutions that govern our lives continue to disappoint us. And so let's pray. Let's pray for Pastor Clayton and then for ourselves, and then we will begin. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for our brother and our pastor, Clayton. Lord, and you know our hearts are for him, that we love him. And so we just ask, God, that you would begin a supernatural healing in him. We know that you know the intricacies of his body, and so we're just asking that you would begin to restore him to full health with whatever he's dealing with. And so, Lord, in the meantime, help him experience peace in this season. And Lord, for ourselves, we just ask that today you would help center us, help us remain focused on what it is you want to say to us. So open up our hearts, open up our minds. We are receptive to what else you, whatever it is you want to say. And so speak to us, whether through a picture or through a word, we are listening and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past May, a three-year-old boy fell into the Western Lowland Gorilla Enclosure at the Cincinnati Zoo. A curious Harambe, the inhabiting 450-pound gorilla, investigated this boy that had fallen into his home. And so over the next few minutes, onlookers screamed and panicked. And with that, Harambe became increasingly agitated. He grabbed and dragged the boy all about his enclosure. And fearing for the boy's life, the zoo officials decided to kill Harambe, doing so with a single shot. Their decision sparked national outrage and criticism from high-profile celebrities all across the world. Protesters demanded that the parents or the zoo be held responsible. Harambe's killing incited debates about human responsibility and animal welfare. The boy's mother became a target of harassment, and it was a huge controversy that, in the seven months since, has become sort of a pop culture movement. Harambe's image has a sort of 
cult following and has become a means to mock hypocrisy and injustice in the world. I'm sure you've seen the memes pop, all over, pop up all over your social media. He's become a popular symbol of this generation's dissatisfaction and distrust with systems and institutions. His popularity in 2016 surfaces our innate desires for systems and institutions to serve us. It highlighted our demand for justice of all kinds and for compassion in administration. And we have a certain structural expectation that has been exposed that the people in power, well, they should be our champions and not crooks. And that policies shouldn't hinder, but should help. Now, when the governing systems in our world today don't meet our expectations, it can make you want to pull your hair out, throw a fit, move to Canada, or scream at the top of your lungs. Doesn't anyone else see how messed up our world really is? And if we're honest, we all have a little bit of conspiracy theorist in us, and it sometimes feels like we can't trust any governing system or institution today. I mean, think about it. Professional sports leagues seem to always give bigger market teams better calls and better schedules. Officials appear to fix the outcomes of games, and it's never in the favor of the Spurs. We can't get a foul. <laughs> Somehow, even though they're clearly guilty, the rich regularly get a slap on the wrist for their crimes, yet the mistake that you made several years ago will forever remain on your record and will keep you from getting the job that you want. And despite all the case the evidence against him or her, courts continue to rule in favor of your unstable ex, putting your children's safety at risk. Your insurance company keeps rejecting the procedure you need or refuses to pay out your claim but has no problem taking money out of your check every month. Your boss plays his trump card and doesn't let you do your job that you were hired for. There's so much bureaucracy and secret meetings after the meeting and decisions being made without your input. We have no real privacy. The NSA has access to all of our electronic correspondences. Pharmaceutical companies can never find any cures, but they can always develop expensive treatments. I mean, it's hard to trust when rumors of corruption and cover-ups feed a growing distrust among our authorities. It feels like the very governing structures that are in place to serve our interests have no interest in serving us at all. Our structural expectations are so badly broken that we have very little expectations or expect nothing at all from our institutions. And this can, this can create a tremendous amount of anxiety concerning our future. And if it doesn't create anxiety for you, it certainly leads to anger because it is frustrating. Like, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel so powerless and so purposeless. There are few experiences that make you feel as insignificant or even as miserable as just these broken structural expectations we experience. And none of us want that kind of life. None of us want a life of purposelessness, powerless, powerlessness, a lack of peace. And so how can we find purpose? How do we ignite our passion and experience peace despite feeling completely powerless? When our governing systems continue to fail us seemingly, what are we to do? Well, the answer lies in the details 
of the Christmas story. So you might recall from last week in this Christmas story, a poor teenage couple, Mary and Joseph, traveled from their home in Nazareth about 100 miles to Joseph's ancestral home, Bethlehem, as was required by the Roman census. Now, while we often think of the Christmas story in terms of silent nights and holy nights, the fact that this story begins with the Roman census, it tells us that it was anything but that. Our nativity scenes and the carols that we sing have it all wrong, and here's why. The purpose of the Roman census was to impose the Roman Empire's new tax system. Mind you, this is the same Roman Empire that introduced crucifixion to the world as a form of punishment. And so census takers didn't show up to your doorstep in short sleeve, white button-ups, carrying a clipboard, asking questions. These guys... Now, if you watch The Walking Dead or are up to date this season, they were like Negan's henchmen. They caused a terror everywhere they went. They herded entire urban and rural populations into a sort of concentration camp until they took an exact head count. And until every head of livestock of every kind was listed, the people stayed there until every grapevine of every fruit tree was counted and every field was measured blade by blade. Day and night, these camps rang with blood-curdling screams. Nobody slept in heavenly peace. Victims were tortured until they registered property that they didn't even have, that didn't even exist. The ill and the infirmed were dragged before the examiners. The trustiest of slaves were driven to bear witness against their masters. Sons were forced to testify against their fathers and wives, against their husbands. Talk about broken structural expectations. The very governing structure they expected to serve their interest and to bring about peace and prosperity, well, they had no interest in serving them at all. Their system was fixed in favor of the already elite. So much like we sometimes feel today, folks in the first century world felt betrayed by their institutions and their systems and their sense of powerlessness was miserable. It was a hopeless feeling. Now, given their broken structural expectations, what hope did these folks have for any sense of purpose, passion, or peace? Well, enter Luke. Luke was a physician committed to pursuing and to spreading truth throughout the world. He wrote one of the four gospels, the four narratives about Jesus. His passion was to help the oppressed and the tyrannized, the folks with broken structural expectations, find hope. And because he was devoted to exactness in his research, hope was in the details of his writing. So pay attention to what he detailed in his account of the first Christmas. In the angel's exchange with Mary, Luke recorded this, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the, what's that up there? The most high. Now when we read or hear this line of the Christmas story, it's easy to just gloss over how rich it is. I mean, it's not one of the life verses that you're going to get tattooed or something that you want to post on Facebook. When a friend is in crisis, it's not a scripture that you just like have to text them really quick to encourage them. But for Luke's audience, who felt powerless against their rigged system, this proclamation that Jesus would be called most high, it was huge. This wasn't a detail that they would have just 
glossed over. It turned a rather matter-of-fact account into an audacious, hope-filled idea for an oppressed world. Why? What was so significant about Jesus being called Most High? Well, in Luke's Roman-ruled world, the term Most High was a royal title that had been hijacked by Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar believed that his methods, like the census, would usher in world peace and prosperity for all. He considered himself merciful, generous, and benevolent, like he was a loving God. And so he gave himself the title Most High, and he demanded to be worshipped as such. Now, to call anyone else at that time Most High, well, that was a direct challenge, a slap in the face to this God King Caesar. And to do so was punishable by death. But Luke, he wasn't simply an insurgent that played fast and loose with his life. He didn't record this detail about Jesus being the most high to incite a rebellion against Caesar. No, he had a completely, completely different agenda. You see, Luke knew the term, the designation most high was a detail that would have evoked memories of a famous Jewish story. So let's pause right there. Let me tell you a little bit about this story. 500 years earlier, before the rise of the Roman Empire, the Babylonians were the dominant world power. And their king, Nebuchadnezzar, much like Caesar, well, he thought he was the most high God that was going to usher in peace and prosperity for the world. That is until the Jewish prophet Daniel prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar a message so powerful that it eventually changed his perspective. Okay, so back to Luke. So by including this detail, the detail that Jesus was most high, Luke sought to convey the same message that Daniel conveyed, and he wanted to convey that to a world filled with broken structural expectations. It's why when seeing or hearing about it, they wouldn't have glossed over that detail, and it's why we shouldn't gloss over it either. And so, why would calling Jesus most high have screamed so loudly that none of us should ignore it? What was Daniel's message that Luke wanted the entire world to know? Well, the message that Daniel prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar, and Luke's message for us today is this, that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms, and he gives them to whoever he wishes. Daniel basically called King Nebuchadnezzar a pawn in God's grander plan. And with that same prophet's perspective, Luke prophesied that Caesar too was a pawn in Jesus' hand. And so Luke's message to the oppressed and tyrannized world was this. He's like, look, I know you feel powerless. I know you're dissatisfied. I know you feel that the systems are rigged against you, but Jesus... He's the true most high. He is in total control, and he superintends the systems. In other words, Luke's big idea to the world and the essence of his prophet's perspective is this. Even when you can't trust the system, you can trust the God who's sovereign over it. Even when you can't trust the system, you can trust the God who is sovereign over it. And so when you feel betrayed by institutions and Systems remember that the most high Jesus is sovereign over all kingdoms. 
When the courts rule in favor of your unstable ex or the insurance keeps denying your claims, remember that Jesus, the Most High, is still sovereign over all the kingdoms. When you learn about the secret meetings and decisions are being made without you, when your boss continues to play the trump card again and again, or you get passed up for the promotion because of office politics, when the candidate you support isn't elected into office, maintain the prophet's perspective that says the most high Jesus is sovereign over all kingdoms, and he gives them to whoever he wishes. And now I get it. At some level, it seems a bit dismissive of Daniel to say, hey, look, I know things didn't work in your favor, but God, the most high, he's got this. And it seems a bit insensitive of Luke to say, hey, I know you're disappointed. I know you're dissatisfied. Forget about that. Trust Jesus. And so it's helpful for us to know, like, what is this grander plan in the prophet's perspective anyway? Like, what was their motivation? How can you and I be excited about a future when institutions and systems continue to stifle our passion. Well, both Daniel and Luke recorded what the Most High himself prophesied about his greater plan. Their details are why we can live with purpose, why we can have passion and peace despite systems that fail us. Daniel wrote this, he said it this way, he, the Most High, will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. It will crush and put an end to all these other kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And Luke echoed the same thing. He said, he will reign forever and his kingdom will have no end. See, it's not that the prophet's perspective is dismissive of your broken structural expectations. Your feelings are very real. Your disappointment really sucks. And I'm sorry for all that you're experiencing. But the prophet's perspective, it just shifts our focus from the mess that we are in to the end game. And while you might not see clearly how God is working and while life in the here and now might not play out for your desires, with the prophet's perspective, you can rest assured that when you trust in the Most High, you are no longer just a citizen of this world, but your citizenship is in a kingdom yet to come. A kingdom in which the scriptures say the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. People will live in peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings and in undis undisturbed resting places, meaning it will be a perfectly administered government free from politics and disappointment. The prophet's perspective recognizes that no matter who presides over our organizations, over our institutions, over our nation, the Most High, Jesus, is already at work ushering in his kingdom with no end. And because it will have no end, because it will endure forever, that means you will endure forever. And so all of our broken structural expectations, all of our disappointments, our dissatisfaction, distrust, it will just be a blink in the eye of eternity. And it's with this prophet's perspective that Luke hoped we would find our purpose and our passion and our peace. And with it, we find the essence of what this Christmas season, this Christmas story is all about. And so practically, what would it look like for you and for me to live out 
the prophet's perspective this Christmas? How do we find that purpose? How do we find passion? How do we find peace in the midst of dissatisfaction and distrust? Well, again, the answer lies in Luke's details. He said, in the beginning of his gospel, it seemed fitting for me, having investigated everything carefully, to write it out for you so that you may know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. Simply put, Luke lived out his prophet's perspective by doing the exact same thing Daniel had done 500 years prior. By prophesying about who Jesus is, who the Most High is, and what is to come. It's how he found his purpose and passion in the midst of a tyrannical Roman Empire rule. And when you prophesy to the world the truth that Jesus the Most High is sovereign and can be trusted, you will find your passion and your purpose too. You know, the world all around us is struggling with broken structural expectations, broken social and personal expectations as well. And there are countless people who feel powerless. They feel insignificant and taken advantage of. And they have no hope for a better future. They need your prophet's perspective. And so this Christmas especially, here's what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to do what Luke did, to do what Daniel did. I'm asking you to prophesy. I'm asking you to prophesy through your attitudes when things don't go your way. If you lost a job that you shouldn't have lost, instead of throwing a fit, praise the God that has a better plan in store for you. I want you to prophesy through your actions. Disengage from office politics. Honor the leaders the Most High has put in place and let Him do the promoting. Get involved with the strong foundation. Give blood. I want you to prophesy through your words. Instead of bashing our nation's leaders on social media, pray for them and prophesy as to who God is. Prophesy to your children and your grandchildren before they open up their Christmas gifts so that they know about their future. Prophesy that Jesus is greater. Prophesy that he is stronger. He is higher than any other. And this Christmas, wherever possible, whenever possible, I want you to live out your prophet's perspective and prophesy this, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms and he gives them to whoever he wishes. Brothers and sisters, I hereby appoint you prophets of the Most High. And so may you go forth prophesying in his name and, and attest to who he is and what is to come. I love you guys. We'll see you on Christmas Eve. God bless.